This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Let's Be Real podcast. This week, I got to sit down with my good friend, actually, Molly Jackson. Now, you may know her as an actress or as an activist, but she is one of the sweetest humans, and I am so honored that I get to call her my friend. I'm very grateful for her. We talk about literally everything. This episode is basically a sneak peek into what our friendship is like, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Molly, I am so excited to hear my podcast. This is so exciting because we've been talking about this for a minute. We have. For those who don't know, I want to give a little setup how we met because I think it's really funny and kind of unexpected that we became friends. Absolutely. Well, we met in the middle of a pandemic too, which yeah, is always- on Instagram live. So yes. it was during the election. Mm-hmm. We were both trying to get the word out, get the vote, get people to register. Yes, rock um, the vote all the way. Yeah. And so we did an Instagram live. And I remember I was like, man- this girl, we did, how long? Like 30 minutes? It was like a 30 minute live. Yeah, well, what was funny about it too is you were supposed to be interviewing me then and then they flipped it last minute. Yeah. So I interviewed you during, I've never interviewed anyone before. Yeah, it was so weird for me too because I was like, so do I just answer? You did a great job, by the way. Oh, thank you. But I, we just talked to her. I was like, why 
though it wasn't about like anything personal, it was to get the better. I was like, we have a lot in common. Like we just clicked, if you will. Well, no, even like our pacing and our tones and like a kind of like sense of humor. It yeah. worked. Yeah, it yeah. was really fun. And then, so at, we didn't, we followed each other on social media. And mm-hmm. then I went out to California and I think it was February. And I yes. did this big trip. First time flying by myself. Stayed here for a month. Supposed to be five days. And it was a big trip in where I just accomplished a lot. I got over a bunch of my anxiety and I DM'd you. I was like, you know, let me reach out to her. And then we got coffee. And then we realized we were literally the same person. Yes. No, we had, I mean, even like our dads share a name. And yeah. our moms have the same like area of a work. profession. It was and, weird. Yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> no, I mean, we had very like similar life parallels with our anxiety and like our careers and like school and just kind of everything. And then I just remember being like, man, this is a girl that I want to stay friends with. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're on the podcast because- now everyone gets to know more about you. Aww. Know the incredible Molly that you are. Aww. Well, I mean, I, I've loved getting to know you. And then, I mean, we, we connected all. We got really close, I think, when I went to New York. Yeah. Yeah, really close. Saw each other a lot then. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and now I'm officially out in California. I, mean, I know, just- you moved. Welcome. You're an official Cali girl. I, ah! I think I've always been one at heart. I think, I think you've <laughs> always been a New York girl. Yes, and someday I'll make that move. We're just going to switch places. It's going to, you're going to end up in New York. I just know it. Hopefully. I'm hoping next summer. We'll we'll see. We'll see. But I want to be here for the first year you're here because then you have to experience all the California stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. We'll we'll go to the beach. We'll do all the fun (laughs) stuff. Um, We've talked a lot about your career and stuff just as in itself, but I'm so curious. Do you remember when you first started acting? I do. Yeah. I, um, I was four years old and my parents were looking for like summer camps for me. And the only one I showed any interest in was a theater camp. And they called and they were like, no, you have to be five. Like the kid has to be five. So the difference of four to five. (laughs) And yes, huge, uh, dramatic. Um, So I waited like an entire year, I guess, according to my parents, I didn't bring it up once. And then like on my fifth birthday, I was like, okay, so I can go to the acting camp now. And they were like, wow, like she still remembers that. So they signed me up. And uh, quite like significantly, I, the very first day, I just jumped out of the car and I walked inside. And up until that point, I had debilitating separation anxiety from my mom. So for the fact that for something, it was the very first time I'd ever walked away from my mom, ever. And from that moment, my parents were like, okay, she has to do this for the rest of her life. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So after that first camp, the first play was, we did Snow White and the Seven Little Piggies. So I was like a little pig. I was the littlest pig of them all. And I had like pink paint on my nose and it was so much fun. And then I literally just went from summer camp to summer camp to summer camp. Like I did not stop doing plays at this theater for two and a half years. Did you do anything during the school year? Or was it just like school? Yes, I did stuff doing during the school year. They had like little like weekend programs or little like weekend uh I don't know, like just training and stuff like that. And then over winter break, we had like our winter play. And then the spring, there was like a medley. And I was definitely the youngest one there, the smallest one there. I was itty bitty as a kid. Um, But I mean, just the moment I've just like felt the presence of this little theater. It's called Kids & Co. in El Paso, Texas. Shout out to them. They're wonderful. Um, Yeah, it just felt like home and I felt safe and I felt like I could be myself. And my anxiety literally was left at the door every time. Man. That's crazy, especially like I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. When I do these conversations, it's one of the times where like anxiety isn't there. If you're an anxious person, you know, if you find something you love that doesn't make you anxious, that is so huge. No, you know that then you have to be doing that thing. It feels yeah. stupid to walk away from it. Because it's so rare. Yeah, well, I mean, during that exact same period that I was at this 
children's theater. I would go to school on, you know, off days and I would cry and cry the entire school day until my yeah. mom picked me up. So I knew it was specifically that Molly, activity. that was literally me. Why do we have so much in common? We've had these. No, and the teachers would always reassure my mom, like, oh, she'll stop crying in like 10 minutes. By the time she picked me up, I was still sobbing. Yeah, that was me. I used to have yeah. my mom. I used to have really bad separation anxiety from my mom too. Yes, um, another parallel. Another parallel. <laughs> um, and I used to like make her walk up the stairs with me into the classroom. Like I couldn't walk up the stairs with everybody by myself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My mom had to park in the parking lot instead of just like the little like loop de doo yeah. like drop off. She had to like park, walk me in. It's just crazy. I look back and it feels like a different person, but I'm proud of her. Yeah. And then I was about seven and a half when a manager came to the theater and was like, oh, like me and one other kid, like I'm going to bring him out to LA and let's see how this goes. Um, so I kind of did like a boot camp there and I like met an agent and I got some headshots and I was seven, just having the time of my life. From um, Texas. Yeah, and I think, exactly, El Paso, Texas, like, right in the little tip there, yeah. big military town, because my family's also a military family. Um, so we were out there in Los Angeles. My parents were pretty worried about how that transition would be from my little theater to set. They thought maybe it was just the theater that, like, didn't cause me yeah. anxiety. And then being on set, same thing happened. I just didn't, I mean, I had to legally then have my mom on set with me, you know, yeah. child laws. But I don't think I checked in with her like once throughout the day. I was just having, I would just have the time. It was my favorite, it's still my favorite place in the world is being on set or acting in any capacity. Something people don't realize is that like being on set, it's not as glamorous as people. It's just a lot of hurry up and wait. It is. And for some reason, like I still love that. Like I get time to read and like I love talking to people and like just learning people's stories. Like I can always be instead of I mean, I feel like a lot of actors like eat their lunch and like their trailers and stuff like that. And I don't know the la I don't know when I've ever done that. I think I can remember one time when I was kind of sick on set and they like needed to keep me isolated. <laughs> but like I'm always like with everybody else eating like I just it's every moment of it. It's not glamorous, but I love it every yeah. moment. It's just there's so much to learn and so much like stimulation. So. I know. I So when I was working with Radio Disney, mm -hmm. RIP Radio Disney, um, <laughs> I did a bunch of like backstage with these Disney shows. Yeah. And I really experienced for the first time like what set life was. And yeah. it was nothing than I expected. Like what people don't mm -hmm. realize, doing one scene can take hours. Yes. Yeah. Hours. What was the longest it took you to finish one scene? Funny enough, um... I, this is like kind of one of my favorite stories, but funny enough, the longest scene I ever had to shoot was like a kiss scene. Um, what with, show is this? This is Andy Mack with Josh Rush. Right. Um, so this was our, we had to kiss twice in the show, which is kind of unusual for Disney. Um, but so this was the second time we were kissing in the show and we did probably, I think like we had both like been keeping count. I think we ended up doing like 34 takes of it. There was no reason we needed 34 takes of a kiss scene. And we were both like 15 and we were antsy and we were starting to get like, oh gosh, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> uh, it's something that we can like, we always bring it up when we're together, which is like, it's a great memory to laugh about. But yeah, I mean, I think we probably shot that scene for like six hours. Like we took lunch and went back to it. It was the longest scene of my life. And my parents weren't on set with me. My Nana took me. So my Nana's there like with her book, like just watching me like kiss this boy over and over and over and over again. And was this like your first kiss? So the first time we kissed on the show, yes, it was my first kiss. So I had my first kiss on Disney Channel when I was 15, which is iconic, but also 
when you I was 15. You have to look back on forever Yes, now. now I think it's amazing and I'm glad that happened because like, what a story. But at the time when I was 15, oh, I was so upset. I was like, I wanted my first kiss at like a school dance, like da-da-da. Yeah. But no, Josh and I, I mean, we- we were really close and we were good friends before we did it on yeah. the set. And yeah. it's also it's like a Disney kiss. It's like a peck. It's just a peck and it was really fun. But the first time that we kissed in an episode, both his dad and my mom were like there with their iPhones, like recording it in our faces. So we had like the camera and it was like 50 adults, just us two 15, kids. Hormonal 15 year old and your parents are filming. Yeah. So my parents like have it on video because they're like the first one's not going to make the cut of the episode. So like we'll have it. That is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Like, those are the things people don't realize. Yeah, it's so, I mean, I think I get a lot of, um, I mean, I have a lot of friends outside of the industry too. I think like, you know, just my military friends and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and it's always like a lot of concern that I missed out on things. And I'm like, but I don't ever feel that way because I got so many other weird experiences like, like that that are cool and like unique. And and also you love what you do. Yes, I absolutely love it. I will say you are one of the few people where- you love every process of it. When you chat, when I'm texting, you're like, I'm doing a self tape. I'm so excited. I'm like, yes, girl. Like what people don't realize when you're an actor, your main job is auditioning. That is a full-time job in itself. And it I want to talk about that for a second. Cause yes. that isn't talked about enough. I think you've heard me like rant about this yes. to you, like in our friendship, but so I'm glad you bring, you brought this up. Um, no, auditioning is your main job. That is the job. When I get a self-tape, I'm like, okay, this is my job. Like booking, it's just the extra perk. And that means you get to continue with the character. You know, everyone has their own process. It baffles me when other actors like complain about self-tapes. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how are you not loving this? Like, this is a new character and you get to work on it and like put it on camera. And like, people are going to watch and laugh or cry. Yeah. Like every audition is a performance in itself. And that's why I just, I love class. I love auditions. Like I was texting you last night. I was in a six hour acting class. Yeah. I was like, how long is this class going for? <laughs> it's my Thursday night class. And it's just a group of actors who just absolutely love every step of the process as well. I'm the youngest one in the class. Um, and it's only supposed to be four hours, but we usually go till midnight. Man. It's like, I always call it like my second therapy every week. Cause oh, like I, I have therapy that. and then this is my other therapy. I'm sure. Yeah. Would you say being an actor, cause you're going into different mindsets and different perspectives help you with just putting like your anxiety into perspective sometimes, or do you keep those separate? I... I do tend to keep those separate and I hope someday I don't have to, but yeah. I think that like right now I'm still working through my anxiety at like a high enough level that I'm not quite ready to like merge the two. So I yeah. do have to keep those pretty separate, which I'm excited for that I don't have to because then I can like kind of merge that disconnect, like get rid of the disconnect there. But what does help me with characters is I'm also like a psych major in school. So I think like kind of all three though, like my anxiety, psych major, and then acting, they all come together. They really, really nicely, do. Though. Yeah. They make, they help with like my empathy and just like my interactions with other people. And yeah. yeah. How do you balance school and your career? Because I know something that I've struggled with and it's a challenge. <laughs> It really is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that for the last couple of years of school, I was nearly as busy as you were with school. Like, I don't even, I don't know how you do it. Like, I talked to you about it and I'm like, wait, something's not making sense. Though. Like, I when did you how, sleep? No, I don't know how I did it either. <laughs> That's a question that I need to ask myself too. That yes. was just subconsciously I went through it. And now, now you're going to be a full-time college student doing it as well. Yeah. A new challenge. Wow. You baffle us all. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not on set for hours and hours and hours. Like, acting is a full, like, time. Yeah. It's definitely, the only thing with acting though too is like you definitely have like your breaks though. So I think yeah. that like the main thing is finding a school that will work with you on that. So that like maybe if you're working for a month straight and you're working 12 hour days every day for a month, 
um, you're not going to have any time for school then if you still want to sleep and yeah. have like somewhat of a social life, which that unfortunately is probably the thing that takes the biggest back burner for me is like my social life when I'm working. Yeah. Um, but I've had schools that will be like, okay, like this month you won't do any school, but next month you got to like double up. So it's like kind of, I've been very lucky with my teachers and like my principals and stuff who have worked with me on more making it like a year round school. I think that's one of the things like being Mm -hmm. a child actor, especially people don't realize you you do school on set too. Yeah. You do school with the people you're working with. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the interesting thing about set school though, is for me personally, when I was doing set on school, which is technically you need three hours a day and you need like a certain number of breaks. But the only issue is, is that like, they would be like, okay, uh, we have 10 minutes, like go do some school. And they'd clock like that. It takes me five minutes to log into my online school program. So unfortunately I never got to the place where I could figure out how to really get that much school done. So for me more so it was being on set, maybe doing a little bit here and there, um, and then coming home and just doing school for five hours straight and then going to bed. So that was like very, I think from like 13 to 15, that was like, I was busiest with work then. And that was probably like the most hectic time. Was that when you were on Andy and Mac? Yeah, that's when I was on Andy Mac and Game Shakers and Nikki, Ricky, Dicky and Dawn. So I was kind of like rotating guest stars on all those shows. Um, So yeah, so I was pretty, and then with auditions and stuff like that as well. Um, so that was a very like stressful time where I really don't remember having too many friendships. Like I said, like, unfortunately between school and work, and then you do want to have somewhat of a social life, but then you also have responsibilities like interviews and press and events and stuff like that. So it was definitely kind of, it was overwhelming. And now I'm figuring out what I want to do with college. And I just don't want to go back to that place because that was a very stressful place. One of the good things, though, from being on Disney is that you're with people your own age. It's not like you were just with much younger people all the time or much yes. older. At least you had, at least you were able to socialize with people your age. Absolutely. No, I got to socialize with, I, because that's kind of where you did get, like, your friend time on set in those shows. It was so, like, compounded, though. I think it was really fun because Animax shot in Utah. So I would, like, be in L.A. and then I'd fly out to shoot an episode or two in Utah and then come back and, you know, back and forth, where, like, the series regulars on that show were there in Utah for the entire year. It was fun. It was like sweet how like they got so excited when like the guest stars would come out or whatever. Cause yeah. I mean, I it thought, of, I thought of them in their situation. There's just four of them together nonstop for a year. So like, it was kind of fun coming. Cause then you kind of felt like, like the superstar on set. Cause everyone was so excited to have yeah, like new blood to talk it, to. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Just so I can get a better sense. Let's use Andy Mack as an example. Mm-hmm. How long did it take to film an episode? What were your hours like? Well, I mean, Andy Mac's a really unique example of a Disney show. Granted, like more Disney Plus shows now are doing what Andy Mac did. Mm -hmm. Um, But Andy Mac was like a single cam. So it wasn't multi-cam like the other shows on Disney and Nick. Yeah. So a single cam. So it took a little bit longer, um, a lot more like discipline. Like that's why it was a more grounded performance um, because single cam doesn't want big animated performance like a multi-cam does. Um, but no, I mean, pretty much like call time was usually around like 6 a.m. every day. So like getting up, you'd take like the bus would pick you up to set. Like you'd get in the van, you'd go to set. Um, you were there like going to set, doing school, going to set, doing school, kind of back and forth. And then lunch was about an hour. Um, they had great food on the set of Andy Mac too. That was like amazing craft services. I will always remember. Um, then no, so I mean, then we'd have lunch and then we'd go back to set and then kind of depending on like when you got called and stuff, you'd wrap and people were also coming and going because some people just had like a scene for two hours of the day and then they'd leave. And then afterwards, I mean, we usually like went out and did something too after set, which was super fun because that yeah. was like our social life. So we'd go to get dinner, or go bowling or go roller skating and yeah, 
So it was really fun. I want to go roller skating. That sounds so much fun. There's a really good rink in Glendale here. Can we go? Yes, absolutely. I Super to, fun. Very affordable too. <laughs> I used to love, what was it? Um, rollerblading. Oh my gosh. I was yes. obsessed with rollerblading. Yes. I, my sister and I were obsessed from a, I was like How this were your pack. rollerblades? My rollerblades were gray and purple. Mine were purple. <gasps> Another parallel. Look at that. It's so <laughs> odd how much we have in common. I know we've talked about this, but yeah. it's, it's really weird when you like, think about it it is no it is weird it's like and also like living on kind of two different coasts and but wanting to live where each other are yes kind of like we should have done like a parent trap or something like that I think that could have worked I think it it could have just I would have dyed my hair more well you were brunette so I I was brunette yeah or you go blonde you could pull off blonde maybe I don't I don't know I feel like I get a little too like dark in the summer where maybe blonde wouldn't have worked you could what are you talking about maybe I've never ever varied from my hair color would you ever for work, yes. I don't think not for work. Though. So it's like a job is like shave your head. Absolutely. I want to shave my head at one point in my life. Oops. Joey King said, I think every woman should shave their head at least once once in their life. She has shaved her head like what, three times for work? She pulls it she off is, like nobody's business. She is my favorite. She is my fa- like my favorite career example. Like I think she's such like a well-rounded person. Like I love her social media. Like everything she does, she just does it right. And I want to live exactly like she does. She's right? just wonderful. I used to be obsessed with Ramon and Beezus. Oh if anyone gosh. remembers that movie? Yes, that was one of my favorite uh, movies. Uh, do you, my, I couldn't watch the scene though when she ran away. That just made me too sad. Oh, yeah, that was really sad. Well, I thought I was funny enough. So with such separation anxiety, you think I wouldn't. But that scene like inspired me to like be dramatic and run away when I was 10. <laughs> you ran away? But I ran away to my garage. We had oh. a detached garage. Okay. And I packed up my stuff and dramatically like stormed the backyard. <laughs> so I, I did just leave in the garage. <laughs> I did the ones I was like, I'm leaving. And I just packed my bag and I went down the hallway. And then I went back into my apartment because <laughs> I missed my mom. Yeah, well, because I was- It's so sad. I wish I was rebellious sometimes. No, I know. Same here. Well, even in the garage, I was just sobbing because of how much I missed my mom. And like, she came and got me and she's like, I know you're crying about me. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Like, I want to come back in. Sometimes I just wish I could just like not care. And I could just like- Wouldn't that just be freeing? Just like not- Because it's not just like- just not I know like the level day. that like we care. It's not just like caring what people think about us. It's it's caring about what's going to ha- like it's irrational fears. Like what's going to happen to the people around us? What's going to happen to us? Like Yeah. Uh, like did I mess with the fabric of the universe and something bad is going to happen? It's just like all these very we can like rationally know they're irrational, but at but, the same time they just keep us from doing things. Exactly. Okay, Molly, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about acting, specifically the audition process, your activism, and so much more. We'll be right back. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, 
take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Some of the things that I've been trying to not let stop me, but Mm -hmm. something that's been like, really hard that I've noticed is just like rejection and your job is a big part of it is rejection what's your general ratio of like how many self-tapes per job do you get oof um that's so funny too that now it's like called self-tapes per job because it used to just be like in person auditions yeah just like I had a moment of realizing I was like oh my god it's not in person anymore that's so sad um do you miss in person yeah big time wouldn't that be more intimidating though yeah, but it's those nerves that I think like make it good though. Oh. You know, because you can turn that like nervousness into the excitement and like the hyper focus of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I miss in person because I, I like interacting with people too versus yeah. just like being pent up in, I shoot in, in your my, room. Yeah, in my garage with my mom. And I'm like, this is. So, how many auditions would you say you do per year? Yeah. Um, Because there are some weeks that you're like, per day, you're just knocking them out. Yeah. I mean, it's been a fluctuating like balance kind of throughout my life. It's, it's kind of hard for me to ballpark it because I've been doing it now for, oof, like professionally 12 years, 12 or 13 years. What about just pandemic? Let's just go pandemic. pandemic. Because uh, it's been harder to book. Yeah, I mean, okay, so like beginning of the pandemic, nothing because everything shut down. Yeah. And then I'd say since like October when things were starting to open up, um, I've maybe had like 30 to 40, which is pretty low compared to business. Compared to my peers, I think because I had been between like representation as well. So I'm yeah. trying to like find my happy balance with that. Um, yeah, I'd say about 30. And from those, I've booked three. So that's a really good ratio. And yeah. I'm super duper grateful for that. I mean, I kind of went through the balance of when I was really young, I would book maybe like one out of 20, which was pretty like unheard of. And I think it was only because I could play so young. I was like seven, but I was playing four years old. So like what, what actual four-year-old can read? So that was like, that's how little I was. As I got older, it like went less and less, which also like took a huge hit on like, and that's also when I was going through puberty and stuff. So, you know, that takes another hit on the ego and like self-confidence is having it lessen, but that's natural. Like more people enter the industry every year. So you have more competition as you go along. Yeah. And I know a lot of your peers also you compete with to audition. So how do you like find a balance where you don't think of them as your competition, you're friends with them, but also know- It is a competition at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I had a really like weird realization, I think right before the pandemic of just kind of putting it into perspective because I think that I did get caught up in the competition of it because of course there are some people who egg on the competition of it as well, which is unfortunate. Um, I, well, one thing you have to like kind of settle with is if the job's meant for you, it's meant for you. And at the end of the day too, it's the writer's baby and it's the writer's project. And also you want them to have the best person. So one thing that I started to do, which is unusual and people have told me that's unusual. I do this and my team won't like hearing this, but when I get an audition, if I, I send it out to all my friends who I think are right for it. So I will like share it with them. Cause I just, for me, for some reason that helps, that helped me big time feel like it just, it completely axed out any competition. Cause I'm like, okay, well like I'm sharing, sharing the information. And then that way it's completely, like everyone has a chance at it. And so then if I get it, then I know I was the best for it. 
I won't lie. Like I was super competitive about it before. Like it was almost when I was younger, like I almost had a hard time being friends with girls who were my direct competition because it felt toxic and there was yeah. so much jealousy involved. And of course there's still jealousy involved. Like, of course there's things where I'm like, oh, I really wanted that. And like now my friend's getting to shoot in New York for a month with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you stick with it, it'll come around for you eventually. Yeah, I saw this masterclass with Brian Cranston and he was Ooh. like, I, every time I go into audition to make sure I don't get jealous or compare myself, mm. I just go, this wasn't, on this audition, it's not mine. Like, it's not my role. It's, yeah. I'm just got to do the best performance I can do and whatever happens, happens. It's just not mine to be upset about. I love that because it isn't yours. It's the writers and the directors and the team behind it. Like, you're, all you're doing is portraying it. And yeah. I think that, yeah, as soon as I had that realization that it didn't belong to me, yeah. it never belongs to you. I think even after you look at it, it doesn't belong to you because then it belongs to the audience who's getting to enjoy it. So I think as soon as you kind of let go of the ownership and the possessiveness, there's really no reason to feel like you're in competition with anybody. And I know it's hard because unfortunately we are living in a place where everything is so dictated by how many followers you have. Yes. Which can be really frustrating, especially when it's not necessarily always about the art and the craft or how many years you're putting the work yeah. in to do it. So how do you deal with that? Just like maintaining your sanity and mental health because again, if you're 19 like me, social media can be pretty shitty being yes. our age compared Absolutely. to yourself. Yeah. Um, but also thinking of it as a business. Like how do you compartmentalize it too? Because I, I go back and forth on my opinions on it every day. Like you Same. can ask my mom. I think one day I'm like, oh, I really like social media. Like I need to embrace it. Like I need to like <laughs> work it better. And then the very next day I'm like, I hate it. I want them all gone. Like that it can go literally. crumble. Like I'm just, it's so night or day for me Molly, when it comes to social media. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that so many times. So I go back and forth with that. I mean, I'll always remember my very first role that I didn't get based on followers. I was 12 years old. And that was the first time I was realizing that like the industry was changing in that direction. And like, I'll always remember That's that so vividly. Young. Yeah. It was kind of, it was a crazy realization where I was like, I felt, you know, I did a good audition and that didn't matter. So that was such a helpless feeling. Yeah. It felt helpless. That was really like hard to come to terms with. And then I think to compensate for that, I went like, crazy for a while wanting to be like, okay, well, I'm going to build my following and like, I'm going to do influencery things. And like, I started like a YouTube channel and I was like hanging out with like the influencer crowd. And I think that that was something that I was like, okay, well, this is going to fix it. And then I realized, oh, well, like I'm living everything just to share it on social media. And like, then that's not fulfilling life-wise. I yeah. might think that's going to help my career, but that's not fulfilling life-wise at all. So I definitely like pulled back from all of that. And I mean, now it's more just that day-to-day -day thing. Like right now I'm posting on my social media more than I have in like the past year because I think I like was like, okay, like I'm going to try again. Like I'm going to put in the effort, but then I have those day-to-day -day breakdowns. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, you're also posting a lot of informative stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. I try to. Yeah. And it's really important. And something that I just respect about you so much is that with your platform, you are using it to educate people and to get people involved in activism, which is so important. What made you get into activism in the first place? Was there... A certain issue or was it just something that kind of came up naturally? My mom has always been like super duper active um, and just socially aware and like she let us watch the news from a young age and um, so I'd always like had that encouragement from my parents and then funny enough I was actually listening to um, an interview or a speech by Miley Cyrus and she had like this one quote that stood out to me that was like having a platform and not using it is the biggest crime that like we could commit in the modern day and I just like that I sat with that 
And I was like, wow, like I have a platform. Like I have a couple hundred thousand followers. Like it might not be as much as the people I know with millions, but I can still do something. And I have this and people will listen to me. Like they're buying the clothes I'm wearing and stuff. So why can't they, you know, make the calls to the governors that like could be more impactful. And I think I just kind of put two and two together. So I started kind of posting when I was like volunteering at dog shelters or if I was doing like a beach cleanup and I just started posting like when I was being active and like then I was attaching links to like how other people could get involved. And then eventually, I mean, I just like organizations started reaching out to collaborate or to work together. And then I got really invested when I flew up to Sacramento, the California state capital for the first time. And uh, I lobbied with like our assembly members. And then I spoke at an assembly hearing for women's rights to um, abortion access. And how old were you? 15. Yeah, I was 15. It was, um, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in a while because of the pandemic. So I was doing it yearly. Um, and I think that moment, it was probably the most emotional 24 hours of my life because, um, you had to hear the opposing side and their argument to it. And I just felt like it was, I think women's rights were the first thing that I was super passionate about. Cause I, in that moment I was like, wow, like people just really don't care what happens to me. They care yeah. about this idea of like cells growing inside of my body right now more than anything else. And that just kind of, I don't know, that struck me. That made me very sad. And I was like, I want to advocate for this. And then that kind of fed into um, a lot of different paths. I mean, environmentalism, like and I, my whole family's vegan. So um, we're focused on that. And then back in 2019, right before the pandemic, my sister's school had a school shooting and then we became very focused on gun control in our family. And then and even military family that. too. Yes. And we have military family, which was a huge contrast. And um, when I was younger too, like we always had guns in the house. Like that was very normal. There was nothing unusual about that. Yeah. And I think we all kind of came to the realization like, wow, like that's not, that's not necessary. And like, look at the pain it's causing the people in our community and my sister. That's been an interesting contrast too, is we have so many military friends and our closest family friends and family are military personnel. And so we have great respect for them. And I idolize my dad. My dad was in the army for 27 years. Yeah. So that is a contrast, which is interesting. And I think seeing him balance that has been helpful. So like he, he's like very liberal and active as well, but he's military. And I think how he balances that is very graceful. And I look up to that we're in a place where everything is so divided. Mm-hmm. Our country is divided on yeah. everything. And I think if we can all just hear each other out, I think if you hear both perspectives and actually listen, it's not about yeah. talking, it's about listening. That's how we make the biggest change. All right, Molly, we have to take one more quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk more about your activism and dive into that. I also want to talk about dating and cancel culture. We'll be right back. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. 
In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I remember when you were in New York, it was... I think it was Memorial Day? No. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was Memorial Day. Day. And you went an hour outside the city, tie yourself transportation, to go to a cemetery to pay your respects for those who gave their lives. And yeah. I remember I commented, I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is so important that you're just acknowledging it. I remember you telling me that you lost like a thousand followers for that. Yeah, no, I did. And I had... um not everything has to be political. And I feel like that's where No, and is. they, um, that was my thing because I, I'm a military kid. I have great respect for the military and my dad. And I, I mean, they, people, so many people died for us and are, I mean, everything we do, just the way we protest would not be safe in another country even, yeah. which is, which is crazy. And I, I don't think we realize that enough, like the positives of what the military has done. So I wanted to go pay my respects, and I thought that that was important. Um, and I had some friends even texting me who are who I've worked with on like other campaigns, and they're like, "That was like really disappointing, like seeing you supporting the military." And I'm like, "That didn't have to be a political thing, though, at all. Yeah. That's just paying respects for like our fallen." Like I remember very, I think a couple Fourth of Julys ago, um, I had seen some people online like burning the flag for Fourth of July, which really made me really upset and worked up about it. And I talked to my dad about it and he made, he was like not upset at all about it, which surprised me. I thought he would be like, he's Mr. Military. And he brought up a really good point. He's like, well, he's like, you know, he's like, even he's like, there's, he's like, most of the country is still like, you could face years in prison for that and the death penalty. He's like, but that's part of what we fight for. He's like, we laid on our lives even for the right to burn the flag. He's like, and that's sad. He's like, but that's part of it. He's like, so when I see people burning the flag, I'm like, oh, well, they're exercising their right. Yeah. And I was like, that's so like a casual, like that was so, he's so not attached that he looks at that as some freedom, which. Exactly. Which if you think about it, it's contradictory. It is. But at the same time, everything has become so political. Everything. Environment. The environment is now political. No, even the way we shop, like every, everything. I think with cancel culture, it really Mm -hmm. magnifies that. Um, And I hope that everybody can just take away from this conversation, if anything, like use your voice and actually have conversations with people and do research for yourself and don't just listen. Don't just listen. And I think that that was the thing too. And people saw me posting something out of respect for the military. Um, Because that isn't, I mean, most of the time I'm I'm very, I'm very liberal on my social media. And I guess maybe that was a little less liberal. Like that doesn't align with what you think a liberal is, like supporting the military, just because of, the media and what they've built it out to be. Like the military seems like a very like far right ideal. Yeah. Which isn't how it is. Um, but that's the thing too. I, that's exactly like if you listen and you can also have opinions from varying places as well. Yeah. Your opinions don't need to align on one side. That's not democratic either. You know, exactly. like, yeah. Exactly. It's about forming your own opinions and what you believe and not listening to just 
because someone tells you to. Yeah, for sure. And I think the fact that also we're able to do that and have yeah. our own opinions is so That's special. so cool. So let's it's use so it. Cool. it. Yes. <laughs> like think of how many countries aren't able to do that. No, I know. It's so easy to feel helpless in this world, especially mm-hmm. right now. But to be, we have the power to take control back in ways. We do. We do. Absolutely. Like you were saying, like we can take action into our own hands. And I'm just going to use like veganism as an example um, or kind of like the environment as an example. So we have all these great protests all over the world of young kids protesting for the environment and getting policy change. And that's amazing. And like policy change is going to change it. But also we all know how slow government moves and how slow things move through government when we can take so much of the own the power in our own hands. Like I've been to multiple climate marches, like especially two summers ago, I was at like the one every single Friday. And um, then I'd see people walking around with like McDonald's burgers. And I'm like, well, do you know how much like animal agriculture is contributing to carbon dioxide emissions? Like it just was, it was very contradictory. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're so focused on like our policymakers as like making the change when there, we have the power. We have the power by doing that, by thrifting. Like we were just talking about that, how awesome thrifting is. And by, you know, encouraging like to save up for like maybe a little bit more for a hybrid car instead of a gas guzzler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have more of the power with so many different things versus having to wait around for change to happen. How do you use that, that your knowledge that you have on a bunch of issues that you keep learning about in your work? Do you take some of the knowledge that you learn into your character, if that makes any sense? I, I mean, I think definitely. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say always about political activism stuff, but I think that I'm like a psych major and I think studying the human psyches and how different people interact and how societies interact, I think that definitely comes into play when I'm like building up a character and breaking them down and figuring out like what makes them tick and who they are and what they've been through. And that really helps bringing that into it. And I think also like you've done so many different roles in so mm-hmm. many different mediums. You've done voiceovers, you've done yeah. acting, which are very different. Yes, itself. very different. <laughs> when you're doing a voiceover, do you speak differently? Do you exaggerate more versus when you're on camera? Um, with voiceovers, I think the biggest thing is like enunciation, which is funny because I'm not a very enunciated person, like in just how I speak casually. Um, but in voiceovers, it's like a lot about enunciation and more energy too, but it also depends on the voiceover you're doing. If you're doing a, like a blind light video game, you're going to be like more mellow and like you're at the battlefield and you're talking like this. And then if you're doing a Nickelodeon animated cartoon, you're going to raise your energy like this and talk a lot faster and add like quirky voices. So if, (laughs) Oh God, I love that I just witnessed that. (laughs) So it's going to like change dramatically too on like what you're doing. But I mean, voiceovers are fun too because it's just you and you're in a booth and like people can't really see you and you can make weird faces and do weird things just to like get into your body. So, I mean, I love voiceovers as well. Is there one you prefer? Um, Like over live action and voiceover? Yeah. Live action. I mean, I think that as like, yeah, I mean, I think like acting and the physicality of it though too and putting all of it together and also with live action, you work a little bit more with the team. Like with voiceover, you're recording by yourself most of the time. I mean, I love getting to work as part of a team and feed off of other people's energy. So I do prefer that. But I think voiceover, especially during the pandemic, was like the perfect thing. Yeah. And you're a very bubbly person. What's your dream role? Is it someone that's similar to you or is it someone that's completely opposite? Oh, so 
my dream role for a long time would not be like roles about like, you know, just people playing people on the spectrum or like playing autistic individuals. And for a long time, I was like, okay, like that's my dream role. But like now I've like, you know, done some self-reflection and I'm like, okay, well that's like not appropriate. Like that's not my role to play. Like, yeah. so that's changed. I mean, that's another example of how we change and critically think and like evolve as humans. Um, so I think my dream role has changed now too. Like Leonardo DiCaprio in the Basketball Diaries. That is my dream role. I don't know. Okay. It's a very, very dramatic. He's super drug addicted and like going through rehab throughout the entire movie and keeps slipping up. And it's a very like character-y grunge role. And I think that would be ideal because you do not see, when you don't see many women in roles like that, you see a lot of men going through roles like that. You yeah. don't see many women portrayed. And then another type of dream role would be like a very character-y role, like something Tim Burton-wise. And once again, there's not too many women playing very character-y types. So I think that one of those two would be like dream roles for me. Something just very extreme. Let's manifest, girl. <laughs> Let's put it out in the universe. Do you believe in manifestation? I I go back and forth. I um I mean, you know, you know cricket. She always like teases me about this. Like I will I'm don't manifest intentionally, but I like I'm a big daydreamer. So I'll just like daydream about things again and again and again and then it happens. And she's like, everything you want like happens like so in regards to I'm accidentally like manifesting. You're unintentionally manifesting. Yeah, just by thinking of I'm an overthinker too. So I'll overthink about things like again and again and again and again. And then it kind of happens to be a manifestation, I guess. Oh, so I don't okay. believe in it intentionally. Um something that I've also been like mm-hmm. struggling with is finding a balance between work, school and social life and dating in this day and age is so hard, mm-hmm. let alone a pandemic. Let's forget about the pandemic. For yeah. A I'm, I can only speak to my experiences. It is hard to in date, especially in this industry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, uh, how do you have a mental sanity? Like just dealing with it and letting like what comes, what comes. I mean, I'll say like, I was pretty late to wanting to date. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was pretty late to wanting to have like a boyfriend or a relationship um, until I was about like set or like almost 18. And then I was like very like obsessed on the idea of like, I need a relationship. I need a relationship. Like all my friends were in one. I needed yeah. one. Um, so I got in a relationship and then we dated over the <laughs> pandemic, which like made it, um, which made the pandemic like easier feeling like that. Like, yeah, have somebody. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, but now that we, we've been broken up for about a year now. Wow. Time like really flies. Um, I feel like I was just like telling you like, oh yeah, I just got out of a relationship. Like that feels like that was just yesterday. Um, but yeah, now that I've had like a year of kind of figuring, this is like the first year I've been figuring out like how to date in this industry, which is, it's tough. It's sticky too. And then I get a little hesitant to date outside of the industry. Cause I mean, we've talked about it plenty, like people kind of wanting you for the wrong motives. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I've found like, to be honest, the, like the best luck still dating outside of the industry, but just like filtering people out properly, <laughs> I guess. Or like really like trusting when my parents are like, like I don't get the right, like they yeah. are into you for the right reasons. Yeah. How do you find the balance between filtering out the fake people? There's quite a few, not to characterize, but from my time in California, New York, I've noticed more fake people in California. Yes. LA. Yes. How yeah. do you filter that out? I mean, I think the biggest thing too is not letting it affect you too much. I think I used to be like very like offended if I was like, oh my God, they were fake and they wanted, like I would like very, I would take it very personally. Um, And I've gotten a lot better at not taking things as personally. Um, But I think that once you're out here long enough, you just kind of see it from a mile away. It's just, it's not that hard. You just get in the hang of it. And then it's just kind of like, 
you, you just don't, you just don't pursue anything closer with those people. They're always going to be there. They're always going to be at the parties. Like you'll always interact with them, but you don't need to make anything deeper with them. I mean, it's a process. Yeah. No, I mean, I think like the, the my bigger thing is like, I have a hard time with like mean or entitled people out here. Like that's frustrating. And like you literally were with me as I was going through my first ever mean girl experience. Yeah. So shout out to Sammy. That's like kind of how we really bonded. That's when we really she bonded. She was the most real and there for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think like it's more that that kind of will bug me as the people who aren't fake, but are like in, intentional in how they're manipulative and stuff like that. And call it out. And they just like are okay mm-hmm. with them being that way. It's not even like mm-hmm. them being like subtle about it. No, like, they're quite bold about it. The people who do that. Yeah. I still can't process that. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, I think that like you've met so many people out here already, like as you're living out here too. You, I mean, it just becomes easier and easier not to get caught up with those people. I think the biggest thing is, yeah, not taking it personally. Like they're going through their thing yeah. and just kind of let them be on their own. I mean, I love my alone time too. So that's how I reset after interacting with people who maybe don't align with my morals is I love alone time. I love just going to the beach all day by myself and reading a book and meditating and like, yeah, I definitely prioritize alone time kind of above when I have free time. I mean, I definitely make sure I get my alone time done first. Well, that's how you recharge. (laughs) Yeah, that is how I recharge. So I'm definitely an introvert. Um, and that's how I recharge. But I think also that's important too. If you deal with fake people and you're getting worn down by them, it's just kind of to touch in with like who you are and realize like, oh, I'm not fake at all. Like I'm, yeah, I'm a real one. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. You're a real one and that's important. And I'm just, I just want to say, I'm so glad that we've met and become friends. Same here. It's so rare to find genuine people, but people that you're so similar to. Yeah, I know people that it's like they're genuine, but also you have stuff in common with and you can have deep conversations with and that. Yeah. No, I mean, we've had some like we have been kind of a long distance friendship. And fortunately, we're still living on two different sides of Los Angeles, which sucks. Um, But I feel like when we do see each other, like it's very quality and I leave feeling very content. I know. (laughs) And I feel like I'm excited to continue. and. I am so honored that you came on. Everyone go follow Molly Jackson on Instagram. (laughs) Go check out her stuff. She is just the most incredible, genuine person. Molly, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was an amazing time. I had so much fun. I could talk to you for hours more. So we will. We will. Exactly. After this, we'll talk. We we will. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Let's Be Real podcast. Molly, thank you so much for coming on. I love her so much. If you want to follow her on Instagram, you absolutely should. Her Instagram is Molly Jackson and also follow her film account. She takes awesome pics on film and you should just follow her account. Also subscribe to the Let's Be Real podcast if you haven't already. And follow me on Instagram if you want. My Instagram's at Sammy J. That's I-T-S-S-A-M-M-Y-J-A-Y-E. I hope you guys like this week's episode, and I will see you next week. Bye. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> 